0: What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking. Long time no see. <laughs> As you already know, the guest for this episode is Nate Stanaforth. Nate and I had this conversation many months ago, but he recently released a new project called Making Tricks into Magic, which is an online course that, you guessed it, helps you transform the tricks you already do into pieces of powerful mystery. I wanted to put out this episode so you could get to know a little bit about Nate and what he does and how he thinks, so you might take an interest in this new course of his. He's also got a great series on his YouTube page called American Magic, which is sort of a podcast vlog thing you might enjoy. Anyway, I had never met Nate, but we hit it off quickly and I really enjoyed our chat. In the episode, you'll hear us discuss things like burnout, shocker to the steady listeners of the podcast. Um what, quote-unquote, real magic is, perseverance and dedication to an ideal, and Nate gives us a taste of his book, which I strongly recommend you read, Here is Real Magic, about his trip to India and his renewed passion for creating wonder. You're going to love it. Shoot me a message with any questions or feedback you may have to me at elliottterrell.com. Three T's there in the center. Wink, wink. Please review the podcast in your Apple Podcast app or wherever it is you listen to the podcast. Share any episodes you love with friends and people you think will benefit, and check out MagicalThinkingPodcast.com. There's still also a Facebook page and a Facebook group, if that's the sort of thing you're into. And make sure to follow at Nate Stanaforth on Instagram because as far as I can tell, that's where he posts updates about his new projects, and that's where you can find the link to making tricks into magic. Anyway, this is Nate Stanaforth. Enjoy. Now I have that. I appreciate that. I'm glad to be here.
1: Will you continue doing this under the Vanishing Ink brand? No.
0: Separate now. So, now it's MagicalThinkingPodcast.com officially, and it's just this. And the idea is still to go just to 100 episodes that are numbered. Yeah. And then also keep it as an avenue for me to record interesting conversations with people and just throw them up as a special episode.
1: That's great. Yeah. That's great. It seems like having a podcast with 100 episodes behind you is a good thing to have. (laughs) Yeah. Just just in terms of your own personal assets.
0: Exactly. Yeah. In the toolbox. Yeah. And also... I mean, it, it feels weird to say this, but if I can step outside of it and look at it objectively, there's, you know, going to be near as makes no difference, 300 hours of conversation with the best magicians in the world available for free. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. That's a nice thing to have your name on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, which feels gross saying out loud, but it's also something that, you know, I have to stay present to because if I'm not, then what's the point? Well, I
1: just, you know, I think I've listened to your podcast and I, the thing that I keep coming back to is how much I wish I had it when I was growing up, you know, like I grew up out in the middle of the cornfields in Iowa. I was the magic community there. Like just me, it was me and the books from the library. And I just think it would be, it would have been nice to hear from people who had done it and who were doing it. And uh, it wouldn't have felt quite so far away then. Mm-hmm. So, anyway,
0: when did you get into it seriously? Because I know I. So I just re-listened to your episode with Pete. Yeah, um, maybe about a week ago because I wanted to brush up. And you just, made it
1: weird with Pete Holmes. You made yeah. it
0: weird with Pete Holmes, uh, which I mention probably once every three episodes because Pete's my favorite, and I love that podcast. Pete, that podcast is the reason I do this podcast.
1: He's really good at that show. And it's a disarming because, you know, like when the book came out, I did a lot of interviews and, you know, just appearances where people would ask questions about the book. And I didn't understand how good Pete was at getting you to talk about your thing in a way that was unlike all of the other times you'd talked about <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. Like, I think like you can, from that time of the year, you can go back and listen to a few of the interviews that I did. And they're the same questions and the same answers. And then he he had this entire other agenda um, and, and strategy for having a conversation. And I, I enjoyed, enjoyed it so much more than all of the others. <laughs>
0: That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, cause I, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm going to try not to step on, I don't want to cover the same stuff that sure. we covered in that. But also, I mean, it's a different kind of thing. Like there's a lot more practical information that I think you can shed light on.
1: And uh, this, you're, I'm, I'm assuming your audience is mostly magicians. It's mostly like, magicians. Yeah. yeah. Which I've, like in that podcast, I was so careful not to talk about yeah. methods and, you know, certain yeah. ideas. So.
0: Well, and and in this, I, I'm not interested in talking about methods because to me, that's not the point anyway. You know, uh, not not in my definition of magic now. And I was talking about that a second ago. It's yeah. For me now, I mean, I, I went through this whole thing that, f- you know, when you start out, you think maybe there really is w- like magic powers. Yeah. Right? And so you learn how to vanish a coin and you get really good at that and it looks really good and you fool people with it. And you go, this is cool, but this isn't this isn't the real secret of magic. Like I'm still trying to find that at least for me, I was like, hi, there's gotta be a method out there. That's actually real magic. And I just have to study hard enough and long enough to find it. Right. And then, you know, you, you go through at least me growing up in the age of the internet where I could just get things and buy things online. You start buying a bunch of shit. That's awful and disappointing. And, and I mean, it's been like that in magic catalogs forever, but Now it was more instant gratification kind of stuff and you get it and you learn the trick and you do the trick and you're excited about the trick, but it's not what you thought it was and it's not real magic. And then you get disillusioned by that and then, you know, then you start maybe trying to come up with your own tricks and your own methods and it's still not, you're not finding it and you get beat down, you get beat down, You, I got beat down and got beat down because I wasn't finding what it was. And then something happened and I started realizing, oh, it's not about the methods, Magic isn't about the methods. Magic isn't methods. <laughs> magic is about uh, the space in between the performer and the audience. Magic is about the space in between what's actually happening and what's happening in the spectators. My magic is not a trick. Magic is something that is approached by a trick, which you've you know spoken about and written about. And, and so I was just, we were talk, I'm all over the place. We were talking about being burned out minute ago and i just am starting to get the bug back a little bit it's been about i don't know six or seven months since i've really touched a deck of cards or anything and uh my friend alex who i was telling you about his he's i love helping him with stuff i love working on his stuff because he's so creative and his ideas are so off the wall and so unlike anything else anybody's doing that it's interesting and neat and fascinating and Mm. exciting and uh he was reading the Goshman book, and he let me borrow Magic by Goshman, and uh, and I just flipped open to a random page, and there's a, an audio, there's a transcription of an audio expert ex, excerpt of an interview at a convention in England somewhere, and the whole essay basically is about how somebody told him that he was magic, and he didn't understand, and it took him a decade for him to understand that he was magic, that the tricks were the vehicle, and that he was building magic for people. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why I do this. Wow. That's, you know, and and so anyway, now I'm getting away from methods. But uh, why, why do you even start talking about this? No, I mean, I love that idea
1: because, you know, you are you as a, a unique individual person are far more amazing than any of your tricks that you'll ever do. Mm-hmm. And you know I think, especially for the young magician, you know at least for me well you know, I started when I was really young and and I think you know pretty early on i was I was getting these reactions from people that i didn't know i didn't know how to think about them because I knew the secret was pretty basic, like it's just a coin trick mm-hmm. but but I could get the the grownups in my life, you know, my parents and my friend's parents and my friends and my teachers, like I could make them sort of go crazy for a minute. They thought it was something incredible. And I knew it was just a a trick. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember feeling like, like I couldn't live up to the magic I was doing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the temptation for me was to invent this character that I could just be all the time who could live up to the magic i was doing right Mm -hmm. and my magic never
0: really
1: got my magic never really got good and it and my career certainly didn't take off until i started dismantling that character and and finding a way to be real and Mm -hmm. genuine and present with every audience yeah and and trying to take the the show out of show business and also take the business out of show business right like to just make it this this unique personal interaction with an audience Mm -hmm. and you know you can do that with an audience of 600 people it doesn't you know obviously there's stagecraft that goes into that but but the intent of really connecting with this group of people matters so much more than the material that that you're using to facilitate that now you better have your game in order right in terms of methods and and strategies to to show them what you're trying to show them yeah but you know i i think you don't need tricks to do magic and um yeah i'll leave it there well, I, I, <laughs> I don't I, mean we, to hijack the interview no <laughs>
0: this it's, this is your time i'm already talking too much um When I was listening to your episode with Pete, there was something sort of in the space between you guys that I thought of that I wrote down. And it it was essentially, for me now currently, I would rather do something beautiful that is magical, capital M, magical, than do something that's merely impossible. The best magicians that I've ever seen, and my favorite magicians, do both. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, right, I agree that if you have to pri- prioritize one over the other, um, you know, go for enchantment rather mm. than impossibility, right? Yeah. Go for wonder rather than awe. Um, because, yeah, I don't, even, I don't even want to take that any further. I, I love that idea that, that deceiving the spectator is not the end of the game. That's mm. just one of the ways to get them across the goal line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you can, you can do that with a good piece of magic but you can also do it in any number of ways.
0: Yeah. How did you, what, what did your character look like that you were, that you created that you then dismantled? Like, can you take me through that process? Of Yeah.
1: I mean, when I started out, it was just, so, so I didn't, I didn't have access to magic shows. I grew up in Ames, Iowa and that, you know, I, I performed magic myself before I ever saw anyone else perform it. And so when I started, it was just me doing, you know, I, I had a retention vanish that I had learned and in the way that children can latch onto something and sort of obsess over it, whether it's sports or video games, like I, I, it's all I thought about. Like I'd come home from school and I'd practice, I'd wake up before school and I'd practice. I stood in front of the bathroom mirror and practice this vanish over and over and over again until it really, I mean, you know how it, when, when you get a move and you nail it, yeah. uh, sometimes it looks real yeah and when when you're a little it feels real and it feels like all real.
0: the atoms click into place right yeah
1: right and it right it feels like you're not using sleight of hand like you're just doing it mm-hmm. and you know i showed it to a few people and and was disoriented by their reaction because it was so much greater than i than i had expected or, or really understood um but you know after that after that beginning, I started learning as much about magic as I could. And I started reading the history of magic and I started seeking out other magic shows. And, and, you know, so by the time I was in high school, I I owned a tuxedo and I was, you know, I did the sort of show where you had music and a smoke machine and I would dance around on stage trying to remember all the David Copperfield choreography (laughs) I could remember. And because You know, I looked at the magic that was being done in the world and that was, that's how, that's how people were doing it. And Mm I, at that time didn't have the, you know, that maybe combination of confidence and courage to, to do it the way that I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But a a couple things happened. I remember when I was a teenager, I went to see, uh, I went to see Bob Dylan play a concert and I wasn't a Bob Dylan fan. I didn't know his music, but I knew the story, and I knew that he was this iconic figure, and I was interested in iconic figures, so I went to see him and I was struck by the the stark performance environment he didn't have lights he didn't have smoke he didn't there was no he was just he walked he played the first i'd say twenty minutes of the show with his back to the audience like he just he wasn't it, it, he wasn't trying to ingratiate himself to anyone. He was just, he was chasing this thing that he was going to chase and we could watch if we wanted to. And, and it was intoxicating. It was just riveting. It, it, that night watching him perform, it, it felt like we were watching this artist try to do his best work. And, and so often when, when I had seen magicians perform, it felt like, Someone was trying to entertain me. Someone was trying to give me a good time, right? Mm-hmm. And and the thing that the thing that I saw in Dylan's show is that so often when you're when your only goal is to entertain the audience, you you, you don't honor their capacity to be swept off their feet by something that's truly great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think. He cared at all whether we were enjoying ourselves. He knew that if he just did what he had inside him, if he shared that as truly and as honestly as he could, we'd remember it forever. And I, I will remember it forever in a way that I will forget most of the shows I've ever seen. He, he, it, it was as though he was. It looked like he was haunted. Like he, like he was chasing something that he he had come to grips with the fact that he may never catch. Mm -hmm. And, and I, there was something about that. I just, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it and it made it impossible to keep doing the sort of showman kind of magic Mm -hmm. because if, if you could do what he was doing on stage, why, why would you do anything else? You know, why, why not at least try for that? And so I started abandoning all of the, um, all of the sort of I don't know Joe entertainer um, character, you know, mm-hmm. aspects of character that I had yeah. that I had found along the way, and in in an effort to figure out, you know, what is it that I am really trying to share?
0: What was your voice?
1: I mean, I think there were probably a lot of bad shows mm-hmm. as I was working that out. I think the advantage that I had was that in ames iowa i was the only act in town i was i was the only act in town yeah so if the boy scouts wanted a magician for their banquet i was the guy if parents wanted to hire a magician for their kid's birthday party i was the guy you know i i got so many of my like just you know maybe i don't know what the number is your first x number of shows are going to be pretty rough yeah but i was able just because I had a monopoly on, in the Ames, Iowa magic show market, I could get those out of the way pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had the opportunity to 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 put all of these ideas I was having about performance and, and what it is that a magician could, could be on stage. Those didn't just have to live in my notebook. I could put those in the show yeah. and, and sort of um, uh, make it a practice of not just You know, it's great to have ideas and it's great to have ideals and philosophies, but, but for me, it has been important to always put them in the work and to, to make them live or die in the communication with an audience. Uh, I, I even still, like, I feel like I have sort of two voices. One is the one that comes out as I'm writing the scripts for my show. And then I get on stage and realize 95% of that is garbage. There's no way I'm ever going to say that to anybody, you know, <laughs> but, but just through the process of iterating and iterating and iterating, you can, you can sort of find the, find the bit that is worth pursuing.
0: Mm-hmm. And so when you were doing these bad shows, you know, just because that's what they are, yeah. what is it about yourself that you were learning Not just, oh, what I'm doing isn't what I want to do, but what about yourself internally were you finding that compelled you to look for these iconic figures, that compelled you to look for what could be greater than what you had seen and what you were trying on?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's this discrepancy between the experience of magic in the experience of being at most magic shows, right? Including being at my show right early on. I remember even before I knew there were such thing as magic tricks, I loved the experience of that, that combination of um, fear and joy when you see something that's truly wonderful. Right? Like I remember my parents took me out to see a meteor shower and it was the first time I'd ever seen the Milky way. It, 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 you know, like when you're in town, even in a relatively small town in Iowa, there's enough sort of ambient light pollution to wash out most of the stars. So you, so you just, you see this black, you know, cover above with a few pricks of light in it. But mm-hmm. when you go out in the country, there's, there's, you know, no light for miles and it's just like you can see all the way to the edge of the universe. And, and I will, i will remember that feeling forever and and when when i did discover magic tricks the realization for me was that you you can you can show people a card trick but give them that experience Mm -hmm. right it doesn't have to be about the cards you can you can use magic as a way of um giving people this much larger experience Mm -hmm. and you know pretty early on that's that's what i wanted Mm -hmm. But, you know, the trouble is once you're up in front of an audience, the overpowering temptation is to make them like you. And it's pretty easy to get an audience to like you. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, um, you, when when your goal is to ingratiate yourself to the audience, you make it easier for them and easier for you.
0: And they and, want to anyway.
1: Right. And they want to. Yeah. yeah. Because it's sort of uncomfortable to have a life changing experience. Right. Yes, <laughs> like, it is. Uh an audience has to really be ready for something big. And when you go to see a 17 year old magician performing in the high school auditorium, you're maybe not in that mind space. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of what I was discovering, I, I realized that as a performer that it would, it's, it's, not only possible, but almost certainly likely going to happen. That when you go on stage, you will succeed at entertaining the audience and fail at actually giving them the experience of magic. Yeah. And, and so that, that became the bar, right? Like that's, that's the goal. I, I, would, I would rather do everything wrong technically from an entertainment standpoint, but still make the hair stand up on the back of their neck. That to me is a victory, even if it's awkward, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it doesn't um, lend itself to commercial applications very easily. You know, I would I would rather create that than succeed in getting them all to have a good time, but to not take Mm -hmm. them out and show them the Milky Way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Why? I think I think people are drawn to magic for different reasons, and I never wanted to be. I didn't get into it because I wanted to be a performer. Mm -hmm. I got into it because I felt like at a pretty young age, I discovered that you could, you could chase something with magic that got ignored in most of the rest of, you know, our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I was amazed. I was amazed when, um, I started doing magic around, especially the adults in my life, how different they were when they were watching me do magic when they saw something impossible, I saw a side of them that I had never seen elsewhere. And why is that? You know what? What is it that you lose when you become an adult? Mm-hmm. And and why is it that you can give it back to them for a minute with a magic trick? That's what I wanted. Um, you know, I think it's if, if you get into magic because you want to be Steve Martin. That's that's great. Steve Martin's great. I, I'm not criticizing that at all. That's just not that wasn't it for me. Mm-hmm. And, and even now, you know, like I, I make my living as a performer, but that is something I've sort of, um, reconciled myself with more than something that I set out to, to achieve. You know, if I could, if I could find a, a way to do this without, without being in show business, um, that would be very appealing to me. I don't know. I'm still figuring this out.
0: <laughs> so what, What was the trajectory? So you started in the middle of nowhere. Right. With a monopoly.
1: That's right. Uh, A very small kingdom.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then how did that grow out? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think
1: one advantage I had was that there was no one around to um, tell me how hard it was to make a living in professional magic, you know, because it, it is a it is a rigorous, uh, way to make a, you know, you have to work pretty hard to, to make it stick. And I didn't know any of that. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of power sometimes in being naive. So I just started doing as many shows as I could because no one told me that you're never going to, you're never going to make it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was the, there was this bar in town where I'd go and do magic for the, the people there. And then I was in school, uh, I went to uh, college on an acting scholarship because I thought that studying acting would help me become a better magician. But pretty quickly I stopped going to my acting classes and, and, uh, you know, I, I just started doing magic for people everywhere, like out on campus or I had this, this, um, performance art space that gave me the theater once a week. So I did a show Mm -hmm. every week, but the same people would keep coming to the show, so I had to keep coming up with new material and learning new material and and i just i mean the short answer is that I just did many many shows mm-hmm. and as a as a college student performing you know it became easy t- to then go do magic on other people's campuses and so you know we're just sort of get it, it was before i think magic is bigger now maybe than it was then and So it was easier to, um, I think, stand out because there were no other magicians in in my part of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I just started traveling to other college campuses doing shows. And when I graduated, it was a a fairly intuitive leap, although not necessarily an easy one to to start doing shows professionally on the college circuit. And I did that for a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, so how, what, what has changed as far as the state of, how do you see the state of popular entertainment changing and how has that affected how you do magic?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, is the first answer, but I also haven't really been paying attention. I feel like I'm, I'm off on my own mission with magic and I'm chasing my own vision of how it should feel. And, um, how that fits into the context of a performance and i'm i'm doing that That, that's really all i'm interested in Mm -hmm. um i i haven't been paying attention to what other magic is being done in popular culture Mm -hmm. or i mean i know it sounds ridiculous to say but like i don't watch the tv specials yeah i don't go to the other shows Mm -hmm. on purpose because it's hard enough for me to Really see clearly in a practical way how my vision of magic could look mm-hmm. in a performance. I don't know what I would do if I had to fight through everyone else's vision, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I still live in Iowa and I, I treasure that creatively because I'm totally free from influence in the magic world mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm doing my own thing and. I'm sure I'm missing out on a lot of great work and I hear great stories of people doing good shows. And I think that's wonderful, but I, I just know how I work best. And it's when I'm off on my own sort of with blinders on mm-hmm. just running as hard as I can.
0: I just, am curi- I'm not even necessarily about magic, but just uh, the public at large is just so much more entertainment savvy, mm. you know, and it, they, the, the, People who go to live shows are people who watch a lot of entertainment on TV, on their computer, and they want to see it live now because, you know, they can have it anytime they want it. They're making a choice to go see it live. Right. Right. So something that I notice about some of the older guys, you know, maybe mid 40s and up who have been doing magic for a long time they aren't giving the audience the respect that the audience deserves because they know what entertainment looks and feels like they probably have seen as many shows not even just magic shows but as many pieces of content and especially now in an age where there's sort of a premium on intellectual interesting story driven powerful emotional content rather than just you know jerk off material or Saturday morning cartoons, right. and so I see these older performers, and they come out and they burst through the curtain, and they do this ridiculous, inauthentic bullshit, and the audience is polite, and they go, "Oh well, he did his tricks," <laughs> <laughs> and we were here.
1: Oh man, that's
0: and so you know, I just I I was I was curious if you know there was there was any difference in how you're experiencing the audience and how the audience is experiencing you and and what you've noticed about that shift if you have noticed a shift
1: you know as you say that I, it makes me wish that I very much had noticed a shift but I think you know I think one of the one of the the only way my show works have you wait have you been to one of my live performances no. before? no okay the only way my live show works, From my perspective Mm -hmm. is if I trust from the beginning that I will have the audience by the end. Yeah. And that frees me from the need to try to bring them on board at any particular process. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I just, I've done it enough times that I know by the end I will have them. So, uh, you know, as to, as to how that's changed over the years, I, I don't really know if i i don't know i don't have a good answer for that um i i think some i think for for me every night feels very different Mm -hmm. i i sort of i've in the past i've envied those performers who can just go out and hit sort of play in their mind and do it um but that just wouldn't work for the way that i approach magic Mm -hmm. Um, but i don't i don't know if it's changed over the years or not.
0: what what is your pre-show do you have a pre-show ritual is there something there's a lot of
1: fear there's a lot of (laughs) self-doubt and wondering if i left if i would get fired you know (laughs) no i mean i there's no ritual there's no process um i
0: i ask because it sounds to me like you know you it, it it sounds very clear to me that you have to be present for the magic to happen yeah which is the whole point that's what we're all talking or that's what you and i are talking yeah. about is that like magic is something that is created yeah not something that you do right and so i just wondered if there was something that you you know if there was like a any any anything that you know maybe just said to yourself before you went out on stage you No, know, i wish there was
1: i mean that'd be really useful i i i you know i feel like i've been looking for that like how could I make this easier? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, how could I, because I certainly would, (laughs) I would certainly take the easy way if I thought I could still, you know, get what I was going there for. But no, I mean, like, I I almost can't believe that this is how I make a living because it's such an uncomfortable process for me going on stage to do a show and getting ready for that. meant, Like, it just ruins my day. Tell me
0: about it. What does that mean?
1: Well, like the, the worst is when I don't have to travel very far to do a show for instance if i'm like i live in iowa so if i have a chicago show that's a rough day because chicago is only four hours away (laughs) at least when i'm flying across the country and driving for a few hours you know to get from the airport to the venue Mm -hmm. i'm busy enough that i don't have to think about the show until i get there but yeah it's just it's a barbaric way to make a living you know (laughs) getting up in front of so many people and 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 exposing this thing that i really love to an audience who at the beginning does not love it at all Mm -hmm. and
0: and who's resistant to it
1: yeah you know it's like it's this uncomfortable blend of sharing the work with the audience and protecting the work from the audience and trying to figure out where that line is in the night where we can trust each other a little bit um i don't have any idea how to how to wrap all that i'm trying to do up into like a mantra or a a, something to think about before i go on stage but you know it helps that i've done i've done it enough that um that i i know how to start and i know what i'm aiming at and i can trust my instincts a little bit Mm -hmm. and but other than that it's just like falling down the stairs every time (laughs) (laughs) like i honestly i can't relate at all to um you know, you hear some performers talk about learning their show so well that it, it just feels like they don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. That's never been my experience. It's always like going into the boxing ring. And unless you are absolutely focused, you're going to get your ass kicked. And I don't know how to have it not be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a Yeah, it's a strange way to make a living.
0: That's really interesting. I Because I... <clears throat> I have never done a stage performance. I've never been in front of... I'd
1: recommend against it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> You're making that very clear. Um, but I, I it, it's it's difficult for me to relate to that in a way that, you know, I can analogize it to close-up. Um, because, I mean, I, it would be easy to say that you have to be present with close-up. But, I mean, at a certain point, you get good enough at technique, you kind of can just do nothing. You know, and and make it look good, and that's not. Now we're talking more about tricks, or I'm talking more about tricks and, right. and fulfilling the entertainment portion. So I guess I don't know. I feel that in the in the few moments I've created real magic for people, I for me it's not necessarily about being in a boxing ring. It's more like I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is, but it doesn't seem so violent to me. Fair enough. I guess. Pick your metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around yours, and it it seems to make more sense. But the the time that I'm thinking of most recently was um, about a month ago, and I was at a bar, and I'd had a few drinks, and everybody around had had a few drinks, and after I have a few drinks, the cards come out, and it it was really good for me because in close up, it's very easy to have these synchronicities that you can just riff on, you know, in that, in that space, you're, or at least I like to do improvisational magic and just take credit for things I didn't do, you know? And at that moment, to me, I guess the boxing ring would be, I've, I've gone into this state of flow and the punches are in slow motion and I'm able to dodge out of the way and get the blow and then move back. And so that's how I'm sort of experiencing the, the boxing ring thing, but it's more, I don't know for me in those those few moments it's a it's about this weird flow state that time slows down and it seems effortless not effortful okay um but again I you know I've never been on stage I don't cuz that's a that's a structured thing you know I don't know what is it, what, can you talk a little bit about maybe well what the structure of it is like and how you have to manage that and
1: I think a lot about what the audience needs to know um, every step along the way. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How can I build not... I mean, all the way down to the sentence level, right? Like, how how can I... During the course of the evening, I will be revealing bits of information. Mm -hmm. And along the way, I want some of those bits of information to be so shocking that they run screaming from the theater, right? Mm -hmm. So how can I... How can I build their experience with as many... Twists and turns and archways and bridges is necessary to mm-hmm. to deliver them to these moments that I want them to experience, mm-hmm. and the the challenge for me is is um, okay. Let me say it like this: the the challenge for me is knowing these moments when I want to arrive mm. at with the audience ahead of time, and and needing to in real time. Negotiate all of the factors that I can't control in the venue to, um, to still get the audience where I want them to go. Right. So, you know, I perform now at a lot of small theaters and clubs. And so sometimes the performance environment's great. Sometimes it's terrible. Either way, Mm -hmm. we have to get to this moment where, you know, and it's like the specific trick doesn't matter, but they have to feel this way. This experience has to happen Mm -hmm. even if the sound isn't working or even if there are more people than expected or fewer people than expected. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if, um, I mean, you can imagine all of the different factors in a live performance environment. And so, um, it's like in my mind, I'm running, I'm, I'm trying to think ahead to where, where the routine is building and how I need to, help everyone through so that we all arrive at that spot together Mm -hmm. and and i don't mean to say i don't mean to make it sound uh miserable because i also love it of course i just i i I love it so much that i i don't even want to talk about how much i love it because it's embarrassing (laughs) but it's like i feel like my relationship with magic is far more like a relationship with a very old friend you know and and uh you need each other and love each other dearly, but also have these terrible arguments that you don't know how to get over, you know? So, so I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to do what I do, but I, I love it enough that I, I don't want to misrepresent it. And, and of course the, the, for me, the challenges of it are like, I really like solving the problem of, okay, tonight I'm in a theater. There are 300 people here. How can I make them, how can I bring them to see this thing in a way that I want to see it? When I was in college, one of the best, let me say, I I would say he was the best performer of any kind I've ever seen. He was a professor who taught biblical Judaism as it relates to um, modern American literature. So he would draw connections between um books in the hebrew bible and catcher in the rye or um hemingway's writing right so Mm -hmm. so it's a pretty obscure subject that he's teaching and and they had to put him in the biggest auditorium in campus and people would skip their classes to sit in the aisles to watch him lecture i the first time i saw him i was skipping another class because someone like grabbed me by the arm on the way to class and said skip whatever you're doing you gotta come see this guy mm-hmm. like he's a legend he's a legend on campus and watching him what was his name his name's Jay holstein at the university of iowa they made a documentary about him actually oh cool uh, if you google i think it's called the workers series if you just google Jay holstein you'll find a youtube video about him but it's a great documentary but but Watching him communicate with an audience, I learned more about how to share um, ideas and experiences with an audience from him than I have from any other performer, because it's part um, aggression, part intimacy, part intensity, part uh, he has this thing that he cares about very deeply. And he knows that this audience of jaded 19 year old undergraduates does not care about it at all. And just through sheer force of personality, he has to build a bridge from where he is to where the audience is and grab them kicking and screaming and help them over. And it's, it, oh my God. It, I, I just love that thought that no matter who the audience is, like if, if you are present in the moment with them, because so many other professors just get up and say what they have to say, right? Yeah. But if your goal is really to communicate and really to share, uh, you will you will find a way to make a connection with that audience so they can they can see what you see in the material on the good nights.
0: That's outstanding. I it, love that. It I, is
1: out. It is outstanding. I, uh, if I find the link, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Oh yes, please. It's just and and you know it, it occurs to me that someone else with an interest in magic might watch it and not connect with it at all. But it just happens to fit so clearly the way I want magic to feel and the way I want it
0: to look. Mm-hmm. So. It, I mean, it all comes back to the authenticity and the the, the passion. And And that, to go back to entertainment-savvy audiences, you look at the comedians that are getting really big right now and who have been big for the last, I don't know, five to ten years, and those are... Those are more alt comedians than they are club comedians. And that's because alt comedians go up and they share weird stuff that they're insecure about. They tell authentic stories. A lot of them are storytellers in one way or another. And they're connecting their humanity with the audience. And that's what I think that's what audiences crave right now. And that's certainly what I want and that's what I want magic to be. It's like, it's not about the dumb trick. It's about we're here doing this crazy thing called life. And there's so much we don't understand. And there's a lot of beauty in simplicity. There's a lot of beauty in nothing. Like when I, when I was telling you earlier about how I was like a move monkey and, and I was able to do all these slides and things. The magic that I do now uses a mark deck and a breather crimp. And yeah. that's it. Like I don't – there's uh, maybe maybe a couple slides every once in a while. Right. But now it's all simplicity and I don't touch the cards and I am just being with the person or the group of people.
1: Right.
0: And in close-up – and I would imagine there are parts of this that you can relate to stage. I wouldn't be able to, but you might be able to help me out. But in close-up, you are creating – an alternate reality in which the person sitting across from you is living. You know, there's... And you know, Ascanio, right. we pulled the book out earlier. There's the inner and the outer reality. Right? Yeah. There's the outer reality of actual reality. And that's me doing sleight of hand and knowing things about the deck that you don't know and things like that. Right. And then there's the bubble in which you are living that I have created around you where seemingly seemingly innocuous events like the waiter spilling a drink are actually the moments that I do the things that you don't see. So I've created a reality that is real for you that doesn't exist anywhere except in your mind, right? And so it's this alternate reality that you're experiencing. That's That's how I make magic is like I have done real magic, creating an alternate reality for you so that you can experience real magic which is not something that technically exists. Right. So I've done something real, so that you can experience something that isn't real, but is truer than real. I love that thought. I,
1: it makes me think. I was I was in um, I was in Paris, and I was out on the street, and there was this. He was like a I don't remember if it was pencil or charcoal, but this this artist was doing a sketch, and uh, he had his easel positioned so that you could watch him as he was working, and he was drawing. This old man hunched over a candle sitting on the table. Mm -hmm. And just the way he had arranged the drawing, the focal point of the whole piece was, was the white hot center of that flame. That was, that was the center of everything. That's where your eye was drawn. And, but, but as he was, as he was drawing, I realized that he never drew the flame. He drew everything around the flame, right? So he drew the man, he drew the shadow on the wall, he drew the candlestick, he drew the the darker part of the flame, the wick, the, the the center of the picture, the thing that your eye was drawn to. He never actually drew; he just drew everything else, and your eye filled that in on its own. And I thought, oh, there's there's something there, you know? Like on stage, I can't I can't show you real magic, mm-hmm. um, but I I can sort of set everything in order so that so that through what's happening on stage you see it Mm -hmm. you know it's like i think i think with magic you're not asking the audience to look at the tricks so much as you're asking them to look through the tricks right it's more Mm -hmm. like um it's like it's like a telescope right like a bad magician Shows, shows you this telescope and says, look at this great telescope I've got. Look how expensive it is. Look at the brass casing on it. Those lenses aren't cheap. Look how finely they're polished. Look at, the, you know, mm-hmm. and a good magician pulls you up to the telescope and puts your eye up to the eyepiece and says, look, there's the moon. Mm-hmm. Look, there are the moons of Jupiter, right? You know, um, it, if, if the audience comes to my show and walks away thinking, oh, so we can read minds you know that's not one that's not true mm-hmm. two that's a pretty um that's a pretty low bar to try to clear as a performer like it's not that hard to make people believe that you've read their mind right yeah. um so you know it's like i'm saying something that i feel like the other arts figured out so long ago um because it, it you know it's like the essence of this is the idea that magic is fiction mm-hmm. that that you're using the craft of deception not for its own sake but to to tell the truth about something and to give the audience a real experience that is a that is more than just believing the deception Mm -hmm. Um, i've been thinking a lot about uh, novels and novelists recently it's an incredible thing they do pulling you into the world in their mind in a way that, that you don't even question the deception in the way that I once saw, um, Justin Flom, you know, Justin Flom, Mm -hmm. he did the best double lift I've ever seen ever anywhere. Uh, and, and it was so good that I didn't even notice that I didn't notice it. Right. Like he, he didn't do a double lift. He just turned over the top card and then handed it to me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the effect happened that I had to think back. And then I realized that what he had done was actually a double lift and I wanted to hit him because it was so perfect that, that. I bought into it in the same way that a reader in a good novel you don't you're, you don't get hung up on the fact that the author is you know telling you something that's not true. Yeah, you are just swept up into the into that world, and, mm-hmm. and I love that. I love and and you know talking about it is one thing, and doing it is another. But um, but I you know I do know it's possible on on the good nights you can get there.
0: Uh, so just talking about building the bridge right? I was, uh, Dan Brown has a masterclass on the masterclass website and I just was bored one day and started watching it. And he, he, he talks about, you know, he's like, there's a lot of information out there about, about writing. None of it's really very helpful. He's like, my goal with this is to give you really practical shit that you can really do. And if you do the things, then you'll have most of the book done. That's, that's kind of the, 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 the point of his class is like, do these things and you'll have a meaty skeleton. Okay. And cause he, because his class is on writing thrillers, he's talking about how you have to grab the audience at the very beginning. And the way that he does that is he says, you have to make as many promises to them as quickly as possible. So within the first page and a half, you have to have made 30, 40 promises. And you'll keep making promises throughout the book as you fulfill on the promises you've made earlier. But you've got to get them super invested at the very beginning. So, you know, he talks about describing characters and leaving out little pieces and, and you know, talking about fears or, or some crazy thing that's just happened. And you have to find a solution in, you know, 24 hours or whatever. And you set stakes really high. And the promises that you're making are... You're going to find out who the bad guy is. You're going to find out how he saves the day. You're going to find out, you know, all these things. But building that connection very quickly is important to pull people in and build that bridge. And I'm wondering how you have structured your act over the years to make these promises to the audience that you're going to fulfill on without saying, I'm going to give you the experience of real magic. So So I say that. Oh, okay, I mean, right. I don't say that
1: specifically. Yeah, 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 But I'm pretty clear at the beginning of my show. Um, did Did you ever read Absolute Magic by Darren Brown? No. Okay, it's worth selling anything you need to sell to get it, mm-hmm. because he talks about the the messages that you're giving to the audience. Oh, it might be in Pure Effect. It's in one of those two Darren Brown books. Okay. But but the the messages you're giving the audience is About your work in your work, right? Like, what are, what are, whatever words you say, they need to hear the following things. And one of them is, this is important. Another one is, this demands or this, this deserves your attention. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just love both of those ideas that, that you, you can be pretty explicit with an audience that we're not screwing around here that whatever you thought you were getting into by coming to a magic show, I don't, I don't care about that at all. Here's my goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to light your hair on fire. And, and you know, you can, you can promise a lot if you know, you can deliver it. Mm. And, you know, I, I have come to trust my material. I, I know some of the routines that I do better than I know some of my friends, you know, like we've just, been around the world together we've been to war like it just Mm -hmm. i i I trust my dollar trick i trust my phone book trick like i know they will not they will not betray me Mm -hmm. i may betray them but they will be there if i need them yeah and and that allows me to be sort of um audacious in in my contextualization of the evening for the audience at the beginning because i trust the material it's it's not that i've I, I don't mean it to sound arrogant like it's not so much that i have confidence in myself it's just that i know that this material yeah after like 2000 shows i know that it's going to blow the roof off the building yeah. um if if i can if i cannot can not ruin it the material right. if justice. i can right if i can if i can live up to the material mm-hmm. i know how how it will go um and that gives me this freedom it's an incredible freedom to to be pretty explicit with the audience about um, my agenda for the evening with them you know and I it's fun watching people um, you know hear the first two minutes of the show because I you can see some people are excited some people are skeptical but no one's ignoring you mm-hmm. no one's on their phone and uh, yeah I love that idea of making promises I haven't thought of it like that I hadn't thought of it like that before but I um, but that sounds right. You're, you're sort of daring them not to pay attention mm-hmm. because they don't want to miss out on this thing that's about to happen.
0: Yeah. That, I think, is just – uh, I'm really uh, – so, like I said, I've never seen you, so I didn't know if that is something that is part of your show. And I'm so glad to know that it is. Yeah. Because I think that's fucking cool. I just love that. And because, I mean, I grew up religious and it was like you tried to save people. It's like this is important. You're gonna go to hell, you know? And yeah. and that's neither here nor there, but it's the same idea. It's like, hey, you need to pay attention to what's about to happen. Right. Because it can change your life. This
1: matters to you. This matters. Even if you don't know
0: it. Yeah, exactly. I'm about to give you something you didn't know you needed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Which which only works if you
1: are about to do exactly what you just said. Yes. And and when I remember I I thought about this as a Sort of a dramatic technique early in my career, maybe before I had the material to back it up, you know, so some nights i would I would come out swinging and just totally, totally crash and burn yeah and and then maybe the whole audience would have been better off if I had just intended to entertain them for the evening because like my first year on tour on the college circuit, there were some really just remarkably awful performances mm-hmm. where I I just came out swinging for the fences and and missed and and then there's nothing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> then there's just this asshole on stage who uh promised the world and and uh, couldn't even tie his shoelaces, but but once in a while it, you know, even despite my experience, you know, it would connect and I think if you do anything often enough, you get better at it. So,
0: yeah. I I just uh I think it, you know, if you're like you were saying, if you're honest and you you can deliver and you say this is important, I think people's natural tendency, and again, people have a stronger bullshit detector now than maybe ever, ever before. People can tell when you mean it. Yeah. And if you are confident enough that you're going to deliver, that they want to believe, they but want to be a part of it.
1: it. It's not even just confidence. I also think intent matters as much as ability Mm -hmm. because an audience knows when you're trying to impress them they know when you're trying to um i think an audience knows when you're just posturing and they know when you're trying to look cool and and so why you are doing it matters so much not i mean probably from an ethical standpoint but even just from a dramatic um and technical stagecraft standpoint like your show will be better if you are there for the right reasons because the audience can almost it's like an audience can tell your reasons for being there more quickly than they can tell anything right like Mm -hmm. they because you can there's that air of desperation that just oozes off of performers who are there to to make themselves look cool for the audience right Mm -hmm. and and that is that is such a difference to a performer who is there to share something valuable, right? Like if you're, if, if you walk out on stage, knowing in your bones that you have something valuable to share with the audience, that is going to shape every beat of your show for the better. Mm-hmm. And you could have the greatest material in the world. Like you could have just genius level magic. Um, but, but if you are using it, to try to impress an audience, they will pick up on that right away and none of it will feel like magic. And I I don't know, you know, it's like, it, it's like, that's almost something that, that it's hard. I don't know that you can teach that. And I also don't know that you can practice it. It's almost like, like every show you have to check yourself and, and remind yourself what you're doing because it's cool to have a lot of people come to a show, like walking out in front of 800 people to do a show. That's, it's a lot of things and some of them are terrifying and some of them are just extraordinarily fun. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think that idea of, of making sure you were there for the right reasons, uh, like that will change the show more than anything, right? Like you could take the same show with two different motivations and they would land with very different punches and impacts on the audience. I'm curious about, um, uh, when you do close up magic for people, how you can like i'm just i'm running through my experience on stage Mm -hmm. i have so many advantages because of all of the cultural sort of expectations and norms that are built into the ritual of a stage performance that aren't there Mm -hmm. when you're table hopping at a restaurant i mean how how do you do that when you're going up to a table you have to introduce yourself i Mm -hmm. suppose you have to and you have to do it in a way that doesn't dishonor the magic and mm-hmm. and sets the stage for something special to fall.
0: Yeah the the context is is really interesting. Table hopping specifically is almost um, it's table hopping to me is an animal outside of magic, and I mean that in conjuring, like, and a lot of times that's a whole other thing. But magic, I'm going to write down magic versus conjuring because that's important for me to say as often as I can. Um, and we've already talked about half of it already. Um, but table hopping is like you, that is purely entertainment. People, people like you and me can't table hop because it, the first of all, it would be completely soul crushing. Second of all, neither of us would be good at it. See, now I just want to go try it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we, what I mean by that is like, if we're trying to do what we're trying to do, that potentially, takes more time when you're interrupting someone than 10 minutes for the food to get there. You know what I mean? Right. It doesn't necessarily take that long, but when you're interrupting someone or you're walking up to someone and introducing yourself as a stranger, you 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 are you're setting this completely different context for what a performance is supposed to be, what entertainment is supposed to be. Right. And so therefore what magic even has the potential to be in that moment? I mean, if you had a trick that was strong enough that it could be classified as a miracle and you walked up and you went, I'm going to show you a miracle and then you did a miracle for somebody. OK, then you're maybe you're approaching the magic that we're talking about. But you, there has to be a very specific kind of actually you might be very good at it. And the reason I say that is because you have an intensity in your eyes that would draw people in. And the reason I say this is because uh I have a dear friend in Dallas. His name is John Wilson. And I don't know that he's ever table hopped, and I'm sure he would hate the idea of doing such a thing. But the kind of magic that he does, he reads the tarot for people. He talks very slowly, and he can do one thing and spend 10 minutes with you, and you feel like you've been transformed. And that is potentially an interesting table hopping experience. Because he it's all about the one thing. But generally, in the craft of table hopping and conjuring it's quick fast fun right. hit them hard go to the next table you know it it's essentially busking where the performer moves instead of the audience right. um and so it, crafting the context you know it's it's just a totally different beat but when i am performing close-up it's not table hopping
1: okay
0: it's we've been hanging out for a while and you might know that I do magic and you might not. And if you don't, then I probably won't do anything unless the mood's right. And I think something... And I think I might could do something interesting just based off of the conversation or whatever. I'm not... I'm not Michael Weber. I can't direct a conversation towards an impossible thing that I have in my pocket to, you know, totally fry somebody. But if you know something happens organically and i can illustrate it or if there's the right vibe or the effervescence in the air is you know it's it's an intuitive thing that's when maybe i'll do a trick right and then sometimes it's we're all having a good time hey i'm a magician and that's then just a disarming thing it's like oh he's got a pack of cards he's going to do a couple of tricks right. and then i can just slide up underneath the the preconceptions yeah. people have for somebody who carries around a deck of cards and I can slip in and stab you in the kidney you know and it's like uh, <laughs> pick your metaphor <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that that is all about the context and, and that's about again being present with yeah. you know who it is it's, for me I would imagine that it would be hard now for me to be present table hopping If that was what I was being paid to do, if I was at the restaurant, this was my gig. I'm not present. I'm thinking, okay, what tricks do I have to do so that I can get that audience to pay attention or that table to pay attention so that I can move over there and I can make that and I can make the service happy and the restaurant happy and all this stuff. And that is just getting further and further away from what it is that I want to do and what I want to create. And Jared Koff, another example. I mean, Jared, I think, is maybe the best magician in the world because he what i mentioned earlier doing something beautiful that's magical and doing the impossible he's one of the guys that does both wow and he he even in his formal close-up show at the magic castle he talks about he spends his time sitting in a cafe with a sign that says uh oh shit i can't remember what the sign says but he, he reads the tarot for people he sits there and people walk up and they go what are you doing he goes i'm read the tarot and they sit down and he reads and, you know, just amazing, incredible experiences. And it's not spiritual. And he talks about how this; these are just paintings and we're people enjoying art and, and studying it for ourselves and, and interpreting it as we will interpret it. But it is impossible for us not to make a meaning out of these random images associated together. Right. And I'm just here to help you read the pictures. And through that. And, you know, occasionally some psychological chicanery. He creates right. a masterpiece of magic for somebody. And he was just sitting there minding his own business, reading a book. And somebody came up and asked what he was doing. And then he changed them. Fuck, man. That's what I like to me. That's that's close up magic at its purest.
1: Have you ever seen Garrett Thomas
0: work before? Oh, my God. Yes. I saw him work in uh,
1: Buffalo, New York. And he was at a bar where he was working and he walked up to these people who were sitting at the bar and I, it was within the first minute they were screaming and one of them left for a while and then came back because he just couldn't, he couldn't take it. Like, mm-hmm. It was just, I, I, I love seeing that him take that group from zero to 60 so quickly. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, I didn't know that was possible.
0: It's wonderful. Garrett's incredible. And that's, Garrett is phenomenal in so many ways, and his episode of this podcast is one of the few that I'll go back and listen to for fun. Wow. (laughs) Because I don't like listening to my voice, but when I see him, I'm blown away and I'm totally fooled, but personally, I'm not experiencing capital M magic. Okay, I'm experiencing astonishment, and that feels amazing. I love that feeling, but I am not experiencing magic when I watch him. I love being fooled. I love being fooled real hard. And Garrett does it for me. But ultimately for me, it's, it feels, oh, this sounds awful. And I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but it feels hollow. Mm. Like I fucking love Garrett. I love everything that he does. I think he's an amazing magician. And the, the, the way that he talks is beautiful and meaningful. And I, and it is meaningful to me that he's authentically sharing who he is. Ultimately, for me, I don't get anything out of it. And do you think that could be because of your training as a magician? I think it is a lot. A lot of it has to do with my training as a magician. But I think more than that, I just am hungry for something more from my art. Sure. So, it's because I'm a magician twofold. One is I just appreciate it on a different level that, you know, is maybe crowding out another form of appreciation. And then the other one is this is something to which I devoted my life and I'm generally unhappy with it and the state of it in the country and the world. And that's preventing me from enjoying things as they simply are. Which is one of the reasons I got very burned out. It's probably the biggest reason. And I just am hungry for Again, something more, something bigger. I mean, like the 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 shamans and the the wizards and the you know the people that were doing tricks to speak to something much larger are interesting to me in such a way that it it, it speaks to humanity and not a person. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in magicians and conjurers who can humanize themselves. Connect with an audience, and then elevate the entire thing to something greater than what's happening in the room. Giving someone an experience of magic is tremendous, and maybe one of the most beautiful things you can do for somebody. But to then have that experience be transcended by something greater that is, you know, ethereal—I don't even know how to describe it. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's tough to define magic. You know, it's like you're
1: chasing after something that you like if you could if there was a better way like maybe magic is the best way to say that thing yeah you know um yeah i run into that a lot like uh it, what can you say with magic where that is the best medium to say it, it, yes you know?
0: yeah mm-hmm. uh,
1: yeah if i could write about it or sing about it or paint about you know i would do that that would be way
0: easier than living out of a suitcase
1: for six months a
0: year yeah well that's a i that's that's a question that i ask people or that i or when they ask for advice i ask them the question is magic the medium for what you want to convey Mm. i don't know what magic is the medium for yeah necessarily but it's important that it is for you yeah. Like if that's, if this is, this is the thing that is going to be my vehicle, why and how? And even if we disagree on why and how, as long as you have an answer to those things, you're already ahead of the guy who's doing fucking yeah, tricks. Because you know? because then
1: you will be trying to share something with an audience, right? Yeah. And, and uh, it, you won't just be doing tricks for the sake of doing tricks. You'll be... Doing them because that's the best way to do what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I feel like talking about all of this is, you know, it, it, it's one thing to talk about it and it's another thing to find a way to put all of these ideas into the work. And mm-hmm. that's the challenge for me. You know, it's, it's never been one of vision, it's always been one of execution. Like if I could make an audience feel the way that I feel about this material, it would, it would, they would never recover. They'd think about it for, in the same way that I, I feel about it. And, and I think about it every day. Um, but, but it's just finding that way to, to connect it with them and, and to help them, to help it resonate, uh, in their minds and in their hearts, even when, you know, they go into the experience, not knowing anything about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Just getting back to what you said about, you know, wishing you had something like this when you were starting out, the reason, and you know, you were talking about taking these ideas and putting them into the work. Yeah. I, I have no way of doing that. Not in a performance context. Right. I mean, I could, that's just a career that I don't want to start having, but the people under 30 or maybe under 20 who are listening to this, who are, hearing these kind of conversations so early on. Right. You know, in 20 years, shit, who knows? Yeah, it's a it's
1: a good time to be a magician. Yeah. For a number of reasons, but there's so much good magic being created now. And I also think, you know, I, I think of it sometimes in the same way that music changed in the 50s. Mm-hmm because of something that happened 20 years before with the invention of the electric guitar. Um, You know, the first electric guitar was something like 1934, I think that was sold, but, but the Fender Telecaster became the first commercially available, like widely available. Mm -hmm. Um, That was cheap enough that teenagers across the West could have it in their garages and basements. Dylan had one, Janis Joplin had one, Jimmy had, everybody had this guitar. and, and it changed music forever right it it sent it off in so many different directions and it's never been the same and i feel like for magic our electric guitar moment was blaines 1997 street magic special right because mm-hmm. overnight you didn't need a million dollars you didn't need a las vegas stage you didn't need illusions you didn't need a lighting rig you just needed a deck of cards and, mm-hmm. and an imagination and in the same way that it took a while for the electric guitar to work itself into the culture it's taken 20 years for you know that style of magic to to uh, or that approach to magic to sort of um, work its way into our culture but now there's you know the magic on youtube and and the magic that's being invented you know it's like when i was growing up people wanted to do shows and now i see see kids inventing magic to be magic inventors and how great is that you know it's like people who are just putting all of their w- w- without necessarily the need to be the one to get on stage to mm-hmm. do it um, magic used to be the world the community of magic used to be limited to people who were also willing to become performers but that's now you can just be a magic inventor right or you mm-hmm. can just be an amateur magician or you can just anyway i'm excited about it i think i think magic will get I mean because it will go any number of directions maybe some of them will continue to look like it always has looked but I Mm -hmm. hope there's some really weird stuff coming
0: yeah how do you see your magic changing in the next decade two decades I don't know um
1: I I you know I spent four years writing here is real magic and that was a disorienting process for me because I discovered that I really love working outside of I like being off balance creatively and I think one of the things that one of the things holding me back is how much experience I have on stage mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons I'm interested in your close-up magic is that feels new and and strange and unusual to me I feel the same way about writing I feel the same way about music I, I I think my career is going to get stranger before it gets bigger because I love the, I, I have this, it's probably not great for a career, but as an artist, I have this thing where as soon as anything feels like it's going well, I want to break it <laughs> and, and you know, build something else. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do next, but, I started to think, you know, most shows feel like total, um, failures, right? Like I'm shooting at something and I've never once hit it, (laughs) but, but I've, I've learned that, um, and that's okay. You know, I, I I think, I think maybe part of being an artist is being sure that you aim for something that's, that's so, so great that you're not going to hit it. Mm Um, but, but I have done my show now so many times that, that it just occurred to me that maybe a better way to share it with the audience is to not, not by coming at it the same way over and over and over again, but by trying toward the same ideal from a number of different directions. So with a live show, with a book, you know, mm. uh, that I have out now, what, what other, approaches can i take towards the same center mm-hmm. so i can sort of triangulate this this vision for the audience you can see. surround it yeah you can
0: draw everything but the, but flame. the flame
1: yeah uh so uh, you know when i think about magic now or when i just think about making any kind of art um i'm i'm, I'm playing around with some ideas that are very far from my background and from my training Mm -hmm. and i don't know how that will look but the idea the ideal remains the same it's just the approach might change a little bit Mm -hmm. does that make sense
0: oh yeah very much so and i i i was really curious to know what your outside of magic influences are what is it that's inspiring you especially being someone who lives in iowa yeah you know you're not like a New York guy or an LA guy and museums and concerts and blah, 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 you know, where, where, where do you draw inspiration creatively?
1: Um, I read a lot. I run a lot. I listen to music all the time. I don't really go out. Like I don't watch Netflix. I don't, I'm not very much fun, (laughs) (laughs) but I do feel like we live in this age where you've got access to the greatest minds in the history of the world, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can read everything that, Tolstoy ever wrote like what you can on your phone for free right now. Like, uh, you you know, you can listen to the greatest music that's ever been recorded. You can argue with the greatest philosophers or, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like all of this, all of this is right here for us. And, you know, I think when I was growing up, I, I heard older magicians give the advice that you should look for inspiration outside of magic. Mm -hmm. And that always seemed like the sort of a cheap answer, because how do you do that? You know, what is that? What do you mean? Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm going to go read this story and it's going to make me a better magician. And, and uh, I have come to see that, yes, that's absolutely what you should do. Um, that, that, one of the practices that has become so important to me is just wallowing in other people's creations and real outside of magic, right? Mm-hmm. So like I, I remember when I was, was twenty five or twenty-six, I listened to Beethoven's Seventh Symphony every day for a year. Three hundred and sixty-five times in a row. And it wasn't because I just couldn't get enough of Beethoven right. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't I wasn't scratching an itch. It's that I wanted to I wanted to burn that into my imagination and into just burn it deeply inside so that when I went to make my own work, it it would necessarily carry all of that with me. Right. Just because it had been so deeply ingrained. Mm -hmm. And so part of you, it's part of me. You make exactly made up of that. Exactly. I feel the same way about um you know Bob Dylan's work I feel that that way about certain authors like uh, so much of my I feel like a really essential part of my work as a magician is my relationships with all of these artists and musicians and people whose works that I just love and and it's not that I I hear their music or read their books and then try and put those ideas in my show mm. but if if you accept that your work as an artist springs from your, I don't know your imagination at least in part, right? Sure. Um, and if you also accept that you can sort of train your imagination by exposing it to other great work, then then that just leads you you know invariably to the realization that, that why why not take advantage of the fact that you know you can you can just soak up all of this great work and and
0: let that um inform the work that you do well and in a more practical sense too is you're building taste yeah maybe that's
1: an even better word than imagination right it's like you're teaching your aesthetic sensibilities your mm -hmm. taste so that you can better judge oh that thing i just made is terrible but that thing was not so bad let me try that some more, and then you iterate and iterate and iterate. Well, most of those are terrible, but, but that that's pretty good, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's a good way of talking about it, right? It's yeah. taste.
0: it's like you're developing your palate for your own material. But so, like, you
1: reference the fact that I I'm in Iowa, and I I think I probably do miss out. Like, I haven't seen Hamilton. I'd love to see Hamilton because everybody says it's the greatest thing. Um, but. You know, you can get Beethoven anywhere. You can get Jay Z anywhere. Yeah. You know. So it, it it's not quite the frontier in Iowa. We do have civilization.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to apply that. But I but that's I I'm glad that it came that it landed that way for you because, you know, I'm from a small town in Louisiana. <laughs> you yeah. know, I I found my own resources and so I think what you just said is very important for people who this is the only conversation with a magician they get to hear, you know, as it should be. Yeah. Ignore all the others. No, <laughs> I just mean, you know, because everything is so readily accessible, it can be easily dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And I, and so what you, I think what you said is important and valuable,
1: but so here's the thing, like those great artists will never tell you, not to try your best in magic right Mm -hmm. like i as soon as i started um touring on the college circuit it's like i became exposed to the world of magic and and you know there are some really helpful people in the magic world but there are also a lot of people who are cynical and angry and Mm -hmm. that was a real shock like magic to me had been this deeply personal thing and Mm -hmm. and pure and right right and then running into this um world of ego and, um, you know, measuring careers against one another. And, and uh, you know, I, I think, I think you can have a fine career and not compare it to any other magicians you know you don't need to be the next version of david copperfield you don't need to be the next david blaine we already have a david copperfield and he's great Mm -hmm. we already have a david blaine and he's great you know like find find the thing that you can do and that you can give and that best expresses what you're looking for and 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 what you think is true you know i i feel like in all of the other arts and one of the reasons i love reading so much is you get to see what these authors think is true what's important to them what what they have seen, you know, you you get like a really brilliant writer like Tolstoy and, and who's, who has been to war, right. You know, who, who has had this, you know, he was, he was count Leo Tolstoy, right. So he lived this larger than, um, his life was um, larger than life because, because he could do everything on a larger scale. And, and yet he was a genius, right? He was like this once in a generation genius. And, and you can get his thoughts on everything and you can read it in what? A year of what's a year when, when it took him an entire lifetime to put that work together and you can, you can take it in and in uh, 365 days. Uh, I don't know. That, that to me seems so much more useful than um, getting caught up in the, the race of show business and mm-hmm. and how your career is compared to someone else's career, um, none of that helps you on stage. You know, none of none of that helps you when when you are trying to create something. Um, then it's just a distraction. The comparisons and you mm-hmm. know, the rivalries. Where did your discipline come from? Houdini. Uh, I I remember, you know, I, Houdini was. I feel really lucky that I learned about him at such a young age because I was young enough to admire that he did, I was old enough to admire that he did a hard thing and young enough to just assume that if he could do it, I could do it too. And it, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I tried to emulate him in so many ways. And he had that quote that um, he said, the real success to my, the, the, excuse me, the real secret to my success is simple. I work from 7 in the morning to midnight and I like it. And I I don't know. I something about that just really resonated with me. I've always been fascinated with uh, monks and and their ability to remove themselves from the world in order to do the work that they think is important. Now, I chose not to do that and and I think a a good magician has to have one foot rooted very firmly in the world, right? Mm -hmm. so you can communicate. Um, but I just, you know, I think, I think there's a lot, there's something about that idea of picking some impossible vision and then forming your life around the act of making it real that I just, I love that idea That, that you can dream something up and, um, and and make it real through the sort of ordinary magic of just working harder than everybody else Mm -hmm. and you know it's like that's the only thing you can control there are people who are going to be smarter than you and um more charming than you and better looking than you and with more resources and better connections but like the one point where you get to choose what your um how hard you push is is that just just work you know just just um wanting it wanting it more and and being willing to translate that desire into um into your day in and day out existence Mm -hmm. Um, maybe i'm just boring (laughs) but i i don't know i i i feel like if i've i i I love this idea of what a magician could be and this vision of magic that i have so much that i would hate to betray it by not seeing it through Mm -hmm. to a good end does that Mm -hmm. make sense you know like and not serving it the best way that i can yeah and i don't know i i think i'm probably sort of a pain in the ass (laughs) because i you know it's i think about it all the time but um but i really do love it and
0: I'm, I'm grateful that I'm at least getting away with this so far. So. Do you think of your life as a life project? Do you think of of, of magic as a lifelong pursuit?
1: Yeah, I will always be a magician. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has looked and will look very differently from time to time. You know, for four years, me being a magician looked a lot like me being a writer because mm-hmm. um, I'd write every single day to make that book. Um, and that wasn't doing magic tricks, but it it felt like I was doing the same work, just speaking a different language. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, so I'm sure I will make those kind of pivots, but it's all in the same direction. Yeah. My, my, uh, my literary agent, Steven said something to me when I first started talking to him about writing the book. He said, uh, I'm going to tell you a secret. He said, it takes as much time to fantasize about doing something as it does to actually do it. So if you just spend all of the time that you would daydream about having written a book, if you just spend that time instead writing it, you'll have a book and i love that thought so much, you know? So mm-hmm. i you know I, I think for all big projects i just sort of i've decided i don't want to be the guy who th- who dreams about making things i want to be the guy who makes them and you know that has led me to some very strange places but um it's it's sort of the only move i know you know Mm -hmm. like don't as soon as you decide oh i wish i could do this just start working on it. it's like it's like working on a really hard piece of sleight of hand you know it's like the only way like the diagonal palm shift you're never going to daydream your way to a good diagonal (laughs) palm shift yeah you commit and then however many years later you can do it mm-hmm. and you can do that with your career too you know yep.
0: or, or with any project I think that's one of the beautiful things about magic as it translates to living a life is that if you get really good at the technique of magic and I mean really good you can learn how to do anything yeah because you know how to learn isn't that right yeah because okay so here's this
1: is something I've been thinking about I've been thinking about the guitar a lot recently when you learn to play the guitar You can take that same, um, that same physical skill of chords and scales Mm -hmm. and, and play any number of songs. But with magic, that's not true. You learn a retention vanish and you can do a retention vanish and you learn a double lift and you can do a double lift. And so every great magician I've ever known has been really good at getting better at things, Mm -hmm. anything, because that's how you learn. That's how you have to learn. Right. Um, and yeah, that's been a, an exciting making the realization, making the jump in realization that, that that doesn't just apply to sleight of hand, but it can also apply to writing or to, you know, to, to anything. Yeah. You can teach yourself anything if you just treat it like a diagonal palm shift. Like, exactly. I'm going to do this 15 minutes every day. Yeah. And then that becomes 20 minutes every day and then 30 minutes every day. And then pretty soon you can do it. You just can do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I have my, what, um, uh, I was looking for a new creative outlet and I, I, because magic wasn't doing it for me. And so, uh, I bought that piano over there. Oh, no kidding. And yeah, this is a recent thing. December 31st. I bought that piano. Congratulations! I didn't even intend to have a new year's resolution and I just, just struck by it. Yeah. And, uh, my friend, Larry, Larry Fong, we were, I was, I had Christmas with him and I was talking about how magic bummed me out. And, uh, and then I saw him again on the thirty first, and we we had gone to Guitar Center, and he was showing me different keyboards and things, and I was like, we were listening to um, we were listening to Steely Dan and High Fidelity with like crazy headphones, and you know just this, and it was like this is just the fucking craziest thing in the world. This band is insane, <laughs> insane, and I, it just you know it was wild, and I he's so he's a. F- phenomenal magician one of my favorite magicians just to watch impromptu do magic and then you know he's just has this passion for the arts and for music especially and so he can play a little bit of everything and he was just like yeah you know you should just you should just learn how to play If if you've always wanted to learn to play piano which i have i just think it's yeah indescribably sexy (laughs) <laughs> like, it's just yeah. like the idea of being able to sit down at an instrument. The only instrument you find in the wild. Right. There's you not know. a lot of violins to sit yeah. Right. You know, I, I've never once happened upon a French horn, which is what I did play for a long time. But I I just love the idea of it. And he was like, just, you know, just do it. You know how to learn things. Right. Just And I was like, you're right. So, I did. And I've been practicing. And it's, you know, because... I have gotten very good at a thing before, multiple times. I am not hard on myself when I suck. Yeah. Because I know it's merely a matter of this time. This is part of this. That's my job right now. Yeah, yeah. I am at the beginning and I'm aware that I'm at the beginning. Right. Like I, so many people quit doing something because they're not instantly good at it. And magic teaches you, if you really pay attention to it, that things that matter take Time and intention and effort. Right. And it's not not even about persistence as it is about inevitability. It's like, I'm going to be a very good piano player. I just am not yet. Right. And you know, because you can do the sleight of hand move. Like, you know that you'll get there.
1: Yeah. I mean, just think of where you'll be at in 10 years.
0: Yeah. Ah, man. I'm excited for you. Thank you. I'm excited, too. And it's nice to be excited about it. And I'm glad to say that i'm getting the itch back for magic again too right yeah you know when when i started um
1: taking writing really seriously i did find that it took a pressure off of magic Mm -hmm. that was nice you know it's nice not having it be the only way to say anything that i care about yeah Uh, um i'm glad you see i and and here's the thing like you don't have to stop at the piano. Like you could, you could pick something like you can just imagine by the time you're 80, the skills you could have. Mm -hmm. If you just 15 minutes a day started getting really good at some things. I remember uh, when I was a kid, my dad would play piano and I would lie underneath. He had this beautiful grand piano and I'd lie underneath and listen. And I was just struck by the absurdity of the the contradiction between this enormous, heavy, cumbersome piece <laughs> of furniture, yeah, and these just ethereal, haunting sounds that would come out of it, you know, mm-hmm. it's like if every if, if there's nothing more like earthy and unmagical than a wooden box with wire <laughs> stretched in it, right? But yeah. but the sounds that came out of it were just pure magic. I love that. And, and you see that in magic everywhere, right? Like the idea of taking something that is very simple and very small and very low and using it, somehow coaxing from that the experience of wonder. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. I love that more than anything. There's this coin vanish that I've been uh, working on. And I can tell you the secret because this is a um, magic podcast, but it's just, there's just a piece of double stick tape on the back of the coin vanish and it, it allows you to do this retention, um, false transfer that, or excuse me, not a retention, but just a a false transfer. That's really convincing because the coins just stuck, stuck to your hand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I started performing this for people just as an experiment. And, and the, the idea that you can get such powerful responses from just a piece of double stick tape, like something as small as that. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Ah, magic. It's the greatest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, When I moved to LA, I became much better friends with Chris Korn and he is like, just, you know, his coin skills are insane. And watching him make a coin disappear is poetry. And I never really got into that particular method until I started hanging out with him. Wow! And now I don't, Not now in the burnout phase, but when I was into that, it was like, I'm not carrying a deck of cards anymore. I have a quarter. Yeah. And I'm going to make a thing disappear from my hand. Right. And that's it. And Um, that just like, that really revved my engine. Just the idea that I could have somebody look at my hand and I could close my hand and I could open it again and a thing would be gone. Right. Without language, without anything. No, nothing. When I was in India, I'd do a coin vanish for that
1: same reason. You don't need language. You don't mm. need. You don't need a story. You don't even really need context. You're just, on the very basic level, just making something disappear. And
0: uh, yeah. So in the episode with Pete, Rich Summer had a question for you about who I saw at the castle last night. Actually, mm. um, he he asked about the burnout and if it's if you getting the juice back stuck and how you keep it at bay basically and I don't need you to give that answer but I'm just saying this I don't know if people have heard you talk about this before but I think it's important for magicians to hear like your experience of burnout and finding magic in magic again yeah
1: so I mean, it's a long story, so I'll try to give you the... It's okay. You wrote a book about it. I (laughs) did. Yeah. That's right.
0: Man. You don't have to give the story. Buy the book, everybody. It's really great. I've really loved it. It's tremendous. You
1: don't have to read it. Just buy it. (laughs) Buy two or three copies of it. No. I I mean... Okay. I started touring um, the year I left college. Mm -hmm. And... I just I entered the the college circuit at a time where there were a few really well-established magicians but not enough to fill the demand of the thousand or so colleges in the US mm-hmm. for entertainment. And so I I just started doing more shows there than I than I was sort of ready for personally. Like I was just living out of a suitcase bouncing around the country you know, working as many nights as I could. And I did that for a year and then another year and then another year and then another year. And I just hit the wall. I just, for, for someone who, you know, is ostensibly creating magic, I realized that it had been a long time since I had felt anything remotely close. Mm-hmm. to the experience of magic. Like I was a, essentially a traveling salesman. Um, because when you're on tour, most of your day is just traveling from one place to another. You know, like if if Copperfield tours or or uh, like when on Blaine's tour, if you look at the routing, it all made sense, right? Like mm-hmm. you'd play Omaha and then Chicago and then you'd sort of work your way across the country. But when you're just starting out um, on the college circuit, but I'm assuming that's due for other markets as well, you just have to go where the work is. So you do Florida. Like I literally did Florida one night and then Portland, the next night, Portland, Oregon, the next night, mm-hmm. and then Virginia and just crisscrossing country over and over, over and over. Yeah. And, and so I hit the wall and I was on stage in Milwaukee and I just have, I was halfway through the show or, or you know, whatever it was. And I, I just quit and I said, I'm sorry. Good night. I'm, I'm going to go. I went back to my hotel room thinking that maybe this ship was sinking like i'm done i'm gonna go work at starbucks for the rest of my life or something but on that tour i happened to be reading this do you know the book net of magic by lee siegel it's this academic text about i've heard of it i haven't read it it's great Uh, he he studied the traditional tribes of um street performers in india and and i on this leg of the tour i just happened to be reading the book and so i went back to my hotel room and There was the book sitting on the bed and I started flipping through it and I had this sort of crazy I don't know if it was a dream or a plan or just a hope of and just wondering what it would be like to to walk away from everything and to go to the other side of the world and see the magic that I was reading about for myself. Mm -hmm. Because I remember starting out in magic, seeing other performances, you know, when I was a teenager that I just, you know, just took my breath away and, uh, I, I didn't feel that way about magic anymore. And I I wanted to sort of, I don't know, forget everything I knew and dream it all up again. And so I, I ended up going on this trip to India with sort of this, like this quixotic quest. <laughs> to rediscover magic which sounds ridiculous unless your job is as a magician you know you, you know it's like yeah. a magician can't do magic unless you believe in magic yeah and because the audience knows if it's just fake and if it if the performer thinks it's fake so So I went to India with, because I had read this, this book about Indian magic and I could have gone anywhere, right? I'm sure there's magic that I could have seen in China or Japan or, or, or I could have gone to Great Britain and, and seen magic that I hadn't seen before, but I just happened to be reading a book about Indian magic. So I went to India and I thought what I wanted was to find these performers and and witness their performance and, and feel like I was in the audience again. Right. And I did that and it was great. And, and I saw some magic that was not very good. And I saw some magic that I will remember forever, but I realized on the trip that far more, more amazing than any of the magic I was seeing was the process of actively searching for it. And, and waking each day with the goal of finding something amazing Mm -hmm. because then i was paying it you know adults are really good at making things ordinary Mm -hmm. we're really good at getting used to things and and in a practical sense that's probably useful right but it does make it really easy to get trapped in in the story that you tell yourself about your life and and the world rather than the living in the world itself you know Mm -hmm. And, and the thing that travel does really well is it tears you away from all of your certainties. And, you know, I, in, in America, I had sort of got what I wanted, which was to tour as a professional magician. And that had, I had made that ordinary and, and boring and, and disillusioning Mm -hmm. and, and you know, it. It took a trip on to the other side of the world to realize that you don't have to go to the other side of the world that that finding awe and finding wonder is more about remembering to look than where you look. Right. You can find it anywhere. And and I became really interested over there in the idea of of finding wonder in everyday life. Like how good can I get Mm -hmm. at chipping away at the, the calcification of certainty and cynicism and um, inevitability that just necessarily um, grows on you in adulthood, right? Like Mm -hmm. the world is a tough place and we are in the world for sure. So, so it, it, it's not something you can do once and then you're set for life. It's, The idea that I got excited about was, oh, I can, I can, I can do this every day at home. I Mm -hmm. can, I can work deliberately to see beyond the boundaries of my own um, convictions and my own certainties. And, and the, the smaller version of the world that I'm really good at making, I can remind myself every day that that's not the real thing, that there's more out there Mm -hmm. and, you know. I am better at that some days than others, but but I do think about it every day and I do work on it every day. And um, I think especially as a magician, being able to remember that the world and the universe and the human heart are all bigger and all more mysterious than you know, um, that's really useful because when when you are then communicating with an audience and trying to, trying to give them the experience of magic, you know, you don't, you're not trying to, you're not trying to get them to believe that you have magic powers. You're just trying to remind them of this thing too. right? Mm-hmm. And, and you can do that with magic tricks. You can also do it with conversations or, you know, sunsets, sunrises, poetry, barbecue, like, you know, mm-hmm. you can find it anywhere.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so you know when I think about magic and and all of the things that I want to make now all of the different art forms and all of the different projects that I'm excited about they all at the moment are revolving around that idea mm-hmm. like how uh, the idea of waking up of 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 waking up every day not just physically but mentally right and and not allowing myself to be comfortable with um the sort of um easy summaries that you know my my, my brain is sort of lazy like it it would like to just reduce everything to a very small and very manageable scale right mm-hmm. problems um here are my patterns issues patterns is how i but also yeah. people right like the people mm-hmm. in your life it's easier to make them characters than to recognize them as wild and and sort of fundamentally unknowable as you are right mm-hmm. and and you know i it, it, it's it, it's one of those things that can't really be reduced to a formula, um, because by its own nature, it's it's untamed and it's wild and it 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 um, is bigger than I understand. But um, you, you know, you asked earlier about finding inspiration, and that's where I'm finding it now. Anyway, that's probably more of an answer than Rich Summers wanted, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the answer that I wanted. Okay. Or didn't know that I needed, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that's I, that's it. That we've been. That's two hours. I really hope people still buy the book after I said that. Oh, no, I'm just oh, kidding. Yeah, no, the book is the book is so good. I yeah, uh, the book is great. It made me feel really good, and I I read it in a time when I needed it. This was I read it maybe at the beginning of the burnout. Okay. And so I went through the whole thing, but I had your book and I knew it was gonna be fine. Yeah. You know? I've, I've fa- I I I just like I know I'll be good at piano, just like I this gave me comfort yeah. to know that I was gonna come out It'd of right. this, yeah. And it's probably it's
1: probably good to get burned out, right? Like mm-hmm. because and this is something I think about my show all the time. Like if it's true that I'm getting out and failing there every night, what a shame it would be to just do that forever for the rest of my life yeah like sometimes burnout is exactly what you need yeah to identify you know what worked with your previous approach and mm-hmm. also be honest about what didn't what didn't work like yeah. what if it's not if a project or if an approach or if a lifestyle or if something in your life isn't um getting where you're wanting to go it's okay to look at that and mm-hmm. and you know sort of unromantically Be honest about you know what what is good here and what isn't good and what what can I make better next time.
0: Well, that's I mean this I I had a realization about this particular thing earlier today actually, but it's something that I've done many times in my life. Is like something is how I've always known it to be, and then it's then I realize I don't like it anymore, and I burn it to the ground. Yeah so that I can rebuild it in the way that works and you know maybe that's a realization that I'm having now about the kind of magic that I want to make you know is that I I built this big toolbox and I filled it with all these tools and then I realized maybe I just spent all this time on all these things to do something that I, none of these tools work for Yeah, you know so I have to burn it all down and rebuild it in a way that's Helpful and meaningful and beautiful and positive and and dispassionately look at it and go, this is a part of me. It's a part that I love, but I, it's not working. There's no workability in this anymore and I have to reconfigure and that takes stepping away from it, you know. Right. Um, it happens in relationships. It happens in careers. It happens in everything. And this is this is good. It's a cleansing. It's the cleansing fire yeah maybe yeah yeah It doesn't make it easier no god no <laughs> but you can have a perspective on it yeah you yeah. can step outside of it and observe it yeah. Um, so yeah buy the book here's real magic it really is fucking great I really I really loved reading it I think you're a very good writer thank you really. I enjoyed it a lot um, are, there, are there copies of this still for sale yeah do you want to plug this yeah
1: um, yeah the After so, the problem with here is real magic is there's no magic in it because it's for (laughs) a general. I wrote it for not magician readers, Mm -hmm. um, and it's out through just a traditional publisher rather than a magic publisher. So when I was done, I I wanted, you know, after having done all of these shows, I have this material that I love and. you know i don't know what projects i will take on next but i didn't want to be in a position where all of this material that i invented was just sitting like in my trunk Mm -hmm. and not getting used so um yeah clouds and kingdoms is the new book and it it contains three stage pieces and one close-up piece and um yeah it's like my my favorite parts of the show I think, you know, I think for a working, prof- I, I sort of wrote it for, with two audiences in mind for the working professional. I think there's like 30 minutes of my a material mm-hmm. that I've done, you know, in some cases, thousands of times, that they can just be put in a show. Um, but, but I also think like, I remember growing up, I read the books of wonder and Tommy Wonders books at a pretty Hell, yeah. early age. and And I remember like, I remember thinking, okay, I'm probably not going to perform this material, but I really loved seeing how he, how he developed his, how he developed his routines. Like, um, I don't know if you remember, but in, in the books of wonder he does, what, what is the effect? It's like the, um, nest of boxes Mm -hmm. with, with the watch. And he shows you the three different methods that he invented in order to, and and how he identified the problems in each method that led to the adaptation of the next method, and and you see this piece grow from his imagination through three different iterations. I love that. So, um, you know, I also hope that maybe someone who is just starting a professional career would would could see with this material how I had taken a set of ideas and, and over the course of a thousand shows refined it so that they look the way that they do now. But. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll, I hope it's useful to whoever ends up with it. So there it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're going to finish off with the lightning round. <laughs> um, who Who's your favorite author right now?
1: Oh, sorry, lightning is
0: supposed to be very quick. It doesn't have to be. Um I will say that
1: I missed Hemingway when I was supposed to read him in school. Mm. I read the short stories. I didn't read the novels. I'm going back and reading all the novels now, and, and they're incredible. So that's that's probably a, like a cheap, easy answer because everyone loves Hemingway. But um, I feel like, I don't know, I'm discovering it all for the first time, and I'm glad that I have.
0: That's great. Yeah. Favorite musician?
1: I just learned about, uh, what is their name? I just I just learned about them yesterday or two days ago. The Arctic Monkeys. Mm -hmm. Is that a, is that, am I getting that name right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just signed up for uh, Apple music and they came on and I thought, holy shit, where has this been all my life? (laughs) So anyway, yeah. Great. I don't, I don't know if I'll stand by them two days from now, you know, but like,
0: but right now. Yeah. yeah, Right now. Uh, And, and I I think we could both agree favorite is not the right word, but it's just quick, you know, simple shorthand. Um, Favorite (laughs) film
1: hang on another yeah, please i just want to if if we're using the word favorite i really love the band the national mm-hmm. um and again there are recent discovery for me but oh my god there are some good songs in there sorry favorite favorite film was the next
0: so, one yeah.
1: uh, i really love the film 13 conversations about one thing uh although i haven't seen it in a few years and there's a really great movie called lock l-o-c-k-e have mm. you seen this no um it's filmed entirely inside a car and it's the only movie in recent memory that I finished and then started again immediately. Wow. Because at the end I realized, oh shit, that whole movie was in the car and it didn't, it didn't feel confined. And so I wanted to figure out how they did that. And it's, it's brilliant.
0: Wow. That's really cool. That's a great answer. Um, Favorite magic book.
1: The Mind and Magic of David Berglas. Uh, which is the the purple one the um the his the burgless effects book is great too but i uh, i just love the first day of a Burglis book when i was in college i would read a chapter of that every day before it was like i woke up and read my daily devotional burglas um, yeah yeah that's it for sure in fact that one, by such a degree that if I had to choose to save from a fire either my entire magic library or the one David Berglas book, I would save the David Berglas book. Wow. Um, and if I could pick a second one, it would be Absolute Magic by Darren Brown.
0: Or perfect. No, I'm just kidding. Or perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just been one book. <laughs> um, and then the final question which you are more than welcome to give a story from the book or a story from another interview, but I finish with the time that you were just gut punch, kicked in the head, fooled. Just the hardest, earth-shattering astonishment experience. Not necessarily magic, okay. not necessarily wonder, but, like, just you got mm-hmm. fucked by a trick.
1: Or by a like piece that. of magic. Yeah. Okay, so I will say, like, Okay. The, my first answer is in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to leave that story there because it takes a while to, to explain. And, uh, I think, yeah, I also told that story on the Pete Holmes podcast and I don't want to just tell the same story over and over again, but I will tell. Um, so, so when I went to India, I was looking for this specifically in net of magic. Um, there, it, it focuses on this one family of street magicians who now live in a slum outside Delhi called Chattapur Depot. And I I went into this slum to meet them and I found them. And, and this 82-year-old man performed a version of the fire breathing trick that I still think about. Like it just was staggering. So here's how it started. Uh-huh. So we had been talking... So it was really, it was an amazing conversation because we had nothing in common except magic, but that's more than enough to have a conversation about. And so we had been sort of trading tricks and, and methods and I showed them my version of the needle trick and their response to my performance of the needle trick was sort of like, Oh, that's, ador- that's, cute. that's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's show you how we do it. So this 82 year old man crouched on the ground and he began By showing his mouth totally empty. And I do the needles. So I know how I would not be totally honest in that. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't doing any of the the method that I know. Like as far as I know through my experience with magic, his mouth was empty. And yet he closed his mouth and without going anywhere near it with his hands, sort of started moving his mouth around and he regurgitated a mouthful not of needles but of two or three inch long thorns and he spits these out in his hand and to show how sharp they are he takes uh, one of the thorns and sticks it in his hand and drops the others to the ground so he had this thorn poking out of his hand like a pincushion. and then he goes mm. And again, another mouthful of thorns. And he does this over and over and over until, you know, just mouthful after mouthful of Mm -hmm. these thorns coming from his mouth until he has a small pile of his feet and his hand has six or seven, you know, thorns poking out of it. And he throws all of the thorns to the ground and he closes his mouth and just looks at me and makes eye contact and goes, (sighs) takes a deep breath in. And then he exhales and smoke comes out his nose. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is going <laughs> on? Because I'm already floored by the needles, yeah. right? Or the, the the thorns. And then he takes a deep breath in and goes, he, he sort of coughs. And then this jet of fire shoots out of his mouth three times. And, and the detail that I remember so clearly is that it looked like it was painful to him. Like this cost him something. Mm-hmm. It was he wasn't just doing a trick. Like he had to work for this. I have no idea where the fire came from because he didn't drink any liquid. There was no. Yeah. He didn't ignite um, a flame and then spit through a torch. Yeah. It was dry needles, 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 and then suddenly there's just fire shooting everywhere, <laughs> and. That just knocked me down. Like had I had I seen nothing in India except that fire breathing trick, that'd be enough. It was it was worth a trip halfway around the world just to see that. So Wow. Yeah, that's my that's my answer.
0: But That's incredible. Nate, this is such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah,
1: thank you, Elliot. I'm really glad to do this.